This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something, but what are you a geek for? I'm joined today by Hannah Folger. Hannah is a writer and an artist with a disability, as well as, as an accessibility consultant. She joins me today to talk about her love of the Stargate franchise. Hannah, welcome to Geek 4. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, a little bit of context. Can you explain what Stargate is? Okay, so the Stargate franchise is a series of uh, one film and several series um, around the idea of the Stargate, which is a sort of portal device that you can have on different planets that will take you everywhere. In the first movie, uh, starring James Spader and Kurt Russell, who did not continue on to the series, uh, they play, uh, James Spader is an archeologist named Daniel Jackson and Kurt Russell is uh, Air Force Colonel Jack O'Neill. And uh, what Jack, Jack o- Daniel Jackson is the one that figures out how to use the Stargate and they go to another planet where they find uh, an Arab like community that is being ruled by a big bad named Ra. Um, within the movie, they end up blowing up Ra and saving the the planet, but so that they don't, so that the American Air Force and the U.S. in general don't disturb this this planet again. They tell the people to to shut it off. But when they start the new series, they discover that not only uh, does the Stargate go multiple places, not just this one planet, but the uh, the big bad that they thought they destroyed. There's actually a whole race of them, and they've conquered most of the galaxy and. Um, from that series, it went on to uh, Stargate. So the first one was Stargate SG-1. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's Stargate Atlantis, where, oh, sorry. <laughs> An actual phone call. <laughs> they happen. So in the following series, they go to another galaxy. Um, they go to the other side of the universe. So it just really expands from there. But it's, it starts around the central idea of the Stargate, which can take you across the, the universe. Now, uh, it is a military science fiction, so um, it's based in under Cheyenne Mountain, um, which I always found pretty funny that it's an actual place, so it's sitting under NORAD, um, where the, the real work is being done on the ground floor. Uh, but it's interesting in that it's always been about this conflict between like, humanism and the military. And you re- it really gets identified through character uh, with Jack O'Neill and Dr. Daniel Jackson, who is uh, an archeologist and an anthropologist who really just cares about cultures and people. And where there's Jack O'Neill who just wants to go forward and get the stuff done and doesn't mind shooting people up. Um, but he grows over time. And in the core show in SG-1, it, uh, the team, is rounded out by Samantha Carter, who was always my favorite uh, female astrophysicist, which seemed like a big deal in 1997 when it came out. And uh, this guy called Teal'c, who used to be the uh, second in command to one of these big bad Gua'uld who joins the team and by extension, the Air Force in order to um, fight these people and eventually fight for the freedom of his people. Hmm. And and a part of a huge part of that is that the Ghoul World have taken on the um, names and characteristics of certain gods from ancient cultures of Earth. So the, the main ghouls that you 
uh, interact with in the first couple seasons are based on Egyptian mythology, which for me was always really interesting because most of the time when sci-fi and fantasy dives into myths, it's usually Greek or mm. King Arthur, which can get pretty tired. Um, it is like a series with exponential discovery, but at the same time, especially with the first series, it was very limited in one way to this galaxy, but also in a way that connected to the history of this planet, which I always found really interesting. Mm. Um, but it was always at the core, this conflict between um, the military drive mm. and the humanistic side, but as well having people from the, the cultures that they're reaching within the group. And so it, for me, the way that I sort of position it in my mind is that it's, it's thinking about a new kind of colonialism where mm. understanding that uh, we're not just a, a military society anymore, the military, we, we're not under a dictatorship. And so over the, the different series, it uh, goes beyond just having Daniel there to present the humanistic side of things to uh, push his superiors and the people on his team to take more gentle and cultural approaches to uh, connecting with different cultures on different planets mm -hmm. to thinking more broadly about the uh, geopolitical forces that make all these decisions. So where did you come into it? When did you start watching? That is a very good question. <laughs> I actually, I had to ask my dad about this because so the show came out in 1997. It was on Showtime. Um, at the time, we still had antenna and uh, we would still use that antenna until about 2004 or five. So um, at some point, they were obviously broadcasting it on either CTV or global. Okay. Um, so my dad and I caught the first couple seasons on there, and then we would buy the DVDs and binge watch them in the old way of previous to the ways that we have now. Uh, yeah, the good old days. <laughs> the good old days of just having one season and being restricted to that. Yeah. So it became kind of a thing for me and my dad to bond over. Um, and my dad... My dad comes from a military family. He served in the army, uh, which is not quite something I was able to wrap my head around for a long time since he's such a gentle person. Mm. Um, but he uh, trained as a technician, but his dad, uh, his, both his parents were in World War II. My uncle was in the Navy. Like, and for my dad, who was such a gentle person and I'm a pacifist, it was, I've never really connected to that. And now in, in rewatching it and having more conversations with my dad about being in the military, it's it's super interesting for me to watch. But my for my dad, when he was watching it, he found it an escape. And it only, I think only partially reminded him of his time in the army and, and obviously serving in uh, Northern Ireland during the Troubles is very different than being deployed across the galaxy. But I can see the parallels. I can, you know, I can, yeah. yeah. That's cool that it became this thing for you, you and your dad to to connect over. Like, was he a sci-fi fan? Was this, or was this just a show that somehow you guys connected? Well, we, me and my dad have always connected over sci-fi. We like we'd watch Star Trek here and there. We liked Next Generation. Um, when Enterprise was on, one of our neighbors would record it every week on VHS, and after he watched it, he would run it across the street, and we would watch it together. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> It sounds like like this becomes like 
deeper for you because of the connection to your dad. Like, so as the, uh, you, you said, various seasons have come out. There was uh, uh, Stargate SG one was the, the first series. I mm-hmm. think I saw the, I th- I'm sure I saw the film, the Roland Emmerich film. Uh, it was, would have been about 94, I think. Um, 93, 94. Yeah. Somewhere in there. I was probably working in a video store. I remember the tape. I remember the box. There've been other, other series that was Stargate Atlantis. You said that there were, there have been new series uh, until quite recently. Yes. Um, Stargate Infinity was the very short-lived cartoon series that I owned for several years and could not bring myself to watch in preparation for this podcast. I had started to watch it and decided I was bored within the first 30 seconds, but (laughs) the difference, like I was, the show came out when I was seven Mm-hmm. So instead of watching Saturday morning cartoons, I was more the type of person that liked things like Stargate, which is why I can't really tell if it's good anymore because I've been watching it for so long and I feel so connected to the characters. And it is like a character driven show within a universe. Mm-hmm. And I think especially come because it comes from a Roland Emmerich film, you already had these characters with such clear backstories and motivations that um that was also really apparent especially in the first series i've seen it like as the other series drawn there there's less uh intense like character connection um but then there was stargate universe who's going to another galaxy or stargate atlantis which was going to another galaxy where the city of atlantis was Um, having been in Antarctica and then flown across space to this other galaxy by the the race called the Ancients, which were the gate builders. And in Stargate Universe, they're able, so there are seven uh, chevrons in a Stargate address Mm -hmm. and takes eight, I think, takes them to another galaxy, which is Pegasus, which is where uh, Stargate Atlantis takes place. And the ninth one, they took a while to figure out. And so in the Stargate universe, they discovered it att- It connects them to a ship all the way across the universe in unexplored space. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it, it sounds like, um, like good science fiction, it has these different possibilities of paths of narr- uh, narrative that they can go down, but still kind of anchored within a humanist interest that keeps people engaged. So, uh, like, of the various series, uh, where where do your affinities lie? Where do do you go back to? See, I rewatched it. I think I had like was halfway through rewatching SG One when the pandemic hit, uh, so naturally we finished it, um, and have watched all of the series. I I recently finished Stargate Universe, and Stargate Universe we got on DVD. Uh, either in the couple of months before or a couple of months after I went through like a serious medical issue. Uh, I had a, as you know, I had a, a stroke and um, therefore some of the times around have been quite blurry. Um, so I rewatched it and saw the end and I was like, I feel like I saw this and partially forgot because it was so bad. Oh, uh, that inability to, to assess was this is good or bad. The mark of a true fan, Hannah, the mark of a true fan. I mean, Stargate Universe, it was, uh, canceled ahead of its time. And so it definitely ended with the idea that it would continue. Mm. Um, but I would say that Stargate SG-1 is my favorite. Uh, Stargate Universe is my second. Stargate Atlantis is my last. And that's evolved over time. I probably would have said Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, and then Stargate Universe. Uh, but Stargate SG-1 has such 
so much character, character intention. Mm. And really like it's so much more grounded in earth history in the way that they will travel across the galaxy and find people who are um, descendants of the ancient Greeks, but have stayed within that context or, or ancient Egyptians or uh, one episode they find um, an indigenous or like North American indigenous group. Hmm. Um, that one was kind of problematic because their spirits were actually like white aliens pretending to be their spirits, oh, um, yes. which was with a lot of the cultures who were still practicing the, their religious practices of ancient times. It's because other more powerful beings were pretending to be their God. So it wasn't hmm. just uh, the indigenous people. Um, but, um, what I found super interesting about that episode. So Stargate is, uh, most of the series is shot in Vancouver, Mm. um, in Canada. Um, so they were able even to expand this idea of the, the conflict between the military and the humanist side when approaching, uh, a cultural group that live in a space that have resources that they want. And so there was the more aggressive side of the military and the more understanding and neoliberal side of the, um, the civilian context. And mm. they were able to find a way that worked for everyone or that for everyone, but the military. Um, so in a way it kind of sits for me as like a new form of colonialism and the way that Stargate SG-1 is able to sort of re-perform that is really interesting. I feel like I'm sounding like an academic, but <laughs> so it's the reason I, like I love it. SG-1 <laughs> I like is it. because it is so much more character-based. You can connect it to uh, the cultures that we've seen here on earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, the stories are just so powerful. And especially um, for what was happening in the nineties to have this, um, conflict between the humanist side and the military side as well as science and having someone like a civilian from the group they're supposedly supposed to be fighting and uh finding the the humanity and the other side is super interesting and there's so much more to explore than i found that the other series that got a little bit more general and they had some really great character moments across the series or um, but in SG-1, I found that they were the strongest. Hmm. Stargate Universe was like the 2009 attempt to be edgy. There was lots <laughs> of gritty like... Reboot. The gritty reboot. It was very dark. They were disconnected from Earth. There was a lot of sex. And they, they ended up shooting a lot of the women in very sexualized ways. Uh, one of the things that I loved about SG-1 especially is that you had these strong characters one of them was like a very intelligent educated white woman and uh this 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 black man who was part of an enslaved race that included people of um multiple ethnicities but there were such not only strong storylines for samantha carter but she also wasn't sexualized Mm -hmm. and in any of the ways that she was shot there were there were very few storylines about her her love life and they were there were about as many or less than there were of the men um and most of the time she shot in these you know not very flattering fatigues um there were like maybe two episodes in the 10 season run where i can remember her wearing anything that was remotely 
revealing. And sh she had some civilian clothes, but they weren't super flattering because it's the mid 2000s. And I feel like nothing we wore was that flattering. It wasn't, I remember. Stargate Universe also suffers from the dollhouse problem. Um, for those of you that don't know, Dollhouse was a Joss Whedon series where uh, there were humans who, who signed up to have their personalities wiped and they would have new ones reprogram them so that rich people could fulfill their fantasies that were normally sex related. So they were essentially sex workers. Mm -hmm. And so that, that show had a, a mixed reception though I really liked it at the time. Stargate Universe also has that problem, but um, so they're on the other side of the universe and this device can help them switch bodies with someone back on earth mm -hmm. so that you know some scientist or doctor that they need can come work on there and they can have their day off to go home to their partner mm -hmm. they'll, they'll often have, go home and have sex with their partner in someone else's body which oh. yeah that creates issues yeah that got weird over time of me watching it yeah so unlike sg1 where you had really complicated and interesting storylines for Samantha Carter. I found that the in Stargate universe, there was one character who was stuck on the ship, didn't have, like she was the daughter of a Senator. That was the only reason she got there by mistake. But her storyline on earth was that her best friend started sleeping with her boyfriend, which is such a tired plot line that they used it in the pilot for the Lizzie McGuire reboot. <laughs> So you've stayed with this franchise since you were seven years old. You've indicated you're not sure anymore if it's good or bad. Why do you keep going back to it? It is. I, I do think it's good. I also, I also sometimes am not able to communicate to a lot of my friends with very refined taste how good it is. Uh, because I know that some people have seen it as super cliche or silly. And obviously because I have such an extended relationship with the series, it's hard to communicate what I love about it in a way that also says that it's really good. Cause mm -hmm. outside of, like I don't watch a lot of sci-fi anymore. I read and write literary fiction. <laughs> um, so because I've been watching it for so long, it feels like, kind of like those Saturday morning cartoons you return to. It's super comforting, but I find that because the plot lines can be very adult and interesting without actually having to be explicit, um, although obviously it's very violent. There's mm. so much growth. And every time I watch it, I discover new things, um, especially as I learn more about uh, acting in an anti-racist way, understanding colonialism. And as I go back and, and reflect on the different relationships they have to the different cultures, I can find so much more in it every single time. And it's been really comforting during the pandemic to return to characters that I'm so familiar with. And even though it's, <laughs> when you know what's going to be happening, it should be a relaxing time. But I find that I am always maybe to engage with their emotional ups and downs. Um, even though it's it's not This Is Us or it's not a show that's based on emotions, it's based on actions and plot, but those actions are pl and plot are based out of character and how people move in the world. Um, even though it's got this great expansive universe that you can explore in, it's not, it's not a Lord of the Rings where the, the plot isn't driven by the wars that are going on around it, but the people that are 
directly within it and the emotional relationships and professional relationships they have with each other. That sounds like the mark of a good series, honestly. If if you can yeah. keep coming back to it after this this amount of time and still find things and new things, yeah, that sounds rich. Yeah. The funny thing is about rewatching it as an adult and realizing how much like I have imprinted on the idea of Daniel Jackson and like how that is like <laughs> my type in a guy is like Daniel Jackson. I'm watching it and I'm like, oh man, that's, that's, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh, Daniel Jackson, Eugene Meltzner of Adventures in Odyssey that I seem to have attached myself to. Oh, it's, well, it's, it's good to be able to identify that then. Yes. Um, if nothing else. Yeah. Do you, do you have time for some quick fast four? Yeah. All right. What is something you were a huge geek for in high school? Oh, I mean, Star Wars and Stargate, obviously, and Harry Potter. I am of the Harry Potter generation. Um, my generation is having children now, which is why Luna is in the top <laughs> list of baby names for the past yeah. year. Sorry, we gave the world Anakins. Uh, I apologize. Oh, um, what is something that you were a huge geek for that you are no longer a geek for? Um, I think Dollhouse. That was a big one and reflecting yeah. on how creepy it is. It's um, really much creepier now. Yeah. <sighs> I I am I'm still a Star Wars fan and not as big of a Star Wars fan as I used to. Mm -hmm. I did just recently finish playing Kotor and Kotor 2. Um, but yeah, that's a really hard one. I like life before my stroke is such a long time ago, but mm. yes. But yeah, I say Dollhouse. I still love Buffy. Mm -hmm. um, I still have a fondness for Firefly, but I don't feel the same need to rewatch it. Fair enough. What is the geekiest thing you own? Oh, man. Uh, my, my sister went through this phase of just buying me Star Wars stuff, um, whether or not I wanted it, because she felt like that was how she was connecting with me. Uh, at one point, she brought me like a Star Wars droids storybook. And I was 17 and I was like, I don't, I don't need this. But she did give me a C-3PO cookie jar. Ooh. It's literally just the head. It's a bit creepy. The, the, creepy in the most wonderful way. That sounds yes. awesome. Is there anything new that you have recently become a geek for? Oh, that is a good question. I, I hope you'll take out the gaps because it'll take me longer to think about these things. I always do. Yeah. <laughs> I recently finished watching The West Wing and I've always liked Aaron Sorkin, um, who is one of my favorite writers of all time. And I aspire to be as good as him in the plays that I write and other things that I do. Um, so West Wing, I think, is the, the geeky, my, my geek attachment of that's, the time. That's, that is cool. I really enjoy West Wing. It's, it's really smart and fun. Um, but thank you so much for for doing this today where can people find you on social media they want to follow along with what you're doing okay so my uh twitter is at folgers Covfefe. that's uh uh so at f-o-u-l-g-e-r-c-o-v-f-e-f-e -E -E. um the greatest is. the greatest pun i've heard today so thank you i'll link to that in the show notes <laughs> yeah my instagram is at speak story 
I'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. So at speak story. Um, yeah. Was All right. Thing. Yes. Thank you very much for doing this. This was fun. Yes, it was. Um, I feel like I'm not geeky enough about anything else for you to bring me back. So thank uh, you for having me. Well, you know, there's always time. Uh, maybe some West Wing cosplay you could get into and we could talk about that at some point. I think I'm not a cosplay a, person. You'd be a great Josh Lyman. I feel more attached to Toby. Uh, yeah, so do I. <laughs> no, I looked up the personality profiles and I realized why I like Toby so much is because we're both four wing fives. I like Toby's because he's grumpy. He's grumpy. Although they, like the longer it went on, Toby would do something and I'd sit there like, oh God, don't do it. Don't do it. Like, <laughs> when he was going to... Um, proposed to his ex-wife oh yes oh. and everyone's encouraging him yeah and it's like no don't don't andy does not want you no oh yeah break yeah. my heart break my heart all right you have a good day thank you very much uh thank you have a good one stay safe thank you for joining me on geek four you can follow the show on instagram and twitter at geek four pod or me on twitter at mw Boyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for.